You'll see in your bulletin this morning, there's an insert uh, with four families and their children. We had a child dedication in the 9 a.m. service, and it just worked out that all the families uh, were coming to 9 a.m. today. So we hope that you'll take a moment to uh, look them over and take some time this week to pray for these uh, families and their young children um, as they uh, grow together and that, that God would bless them. Let's pray. <clears throat> We're so grateful, God, for um, your love for us today, for the riches uh, that you shower on us, and especially for the riches of your word. Thank you for feeding our hungry and thirsty souls. This morning we pray that you would do just that through your scripture, um, through your Holy Spirit speaking to us. We um, open ourselves anew to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 36 to 50, Luke 7, 36 to 50. <clears throat> Excuse me. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <clears throat> I'd like to take a look for just a moment at the context for this story. Throughout Luke chapter 7, Jesus violated social taboos to reach out to those who were marginalized. In verses 1 to 10, we have the story of Jesus healing the centurion's servant in Capernaum. The centurion was a Roman soldier, a leader in the Roman army, which was the political oppressor. In responding to the centurion's need, Jesus reached out to the racially marginalized. In Luke 7, 11 to 17, we have the story of Jesus bringing back to life the only son of the widow from Nain, 
In doing so, Jesus reached out to the economically marginalized. As this woman had lost both her husband and now her son, thus having no one to support her. In Luke 7, 24 to 35, we have Jesus lifting up the ministry of John the Baptist, who was imprisoned at the time, a detail we get from the parallel passage in Matthew 11. And in doing so, Jesus reached out to the religiously marginalized. And then in Luke 7, 36 to 50, which we've just read, we have Jesus showing grace to a sinful woman, thus reaching out to the morally marginalized. In Luke 7, the sinful woman in the story <clears throat> is not named. Neither is her sin specifically spelled out. We're told in our English versions that she was a sinful woman. In the ancient texts, this word used for sinful woman is a word also used for a prostitute. Whether her sin was harlotry or some other sin that branded her in her community, she was known to be sinful, and she was profoundly grateful for the forgiveness she received from Jesus. So grateful that she crossed well-established social barriers and withstood the ridicule of others to express her gratitude and her love. Jesus was invited to the home of a, of a Pharisee for a meal. Luke is the only one of the four gospels to record this incident in his ministry. We're told of the many details of honor that were unattended to by Jesus's host. Things like washing or having a servant wash his dirty, dusty feet, giving him the traditional kiss of welcome, anointing his head's dry, head, his head's dry skin with oil. Since these typical things were overlooked, we can safely guess that Simon didn't invite Jesus to his home to honor him. Perhaps he was attempting as a Pharisee to set a trap to catch him, saying something blasphemous. Or perhaps he was a Pharisee who was seeking, but he didn't want others to suspect this was so, remaining aloof for his reputation's sake. No matter what his story, he invited Jesus to a meal at his home, and Jesus accepted the invitation. In Jesus' day, a meal like this in a home for a public figure would not have been a closed gathering like it would be for us. If we invited people to our homes, we just expect the people that we invite to come. But here, those invited would recline at the table, and others were free to come as well. And the onlookers would have stood quietly on the outside of the gathering in order to listen to the conversation, to listen to the teacher. We don't know what may have motivated this woman to come to the gathering to hear Jesus' conversation with Simon and his guests, but Matthew 11, 2-19 records the same words of Jesus about John the Baptist that Luke shares in the previous verses, and just prior to the story of um, this woman. Matthew follows his version with Jesus' touching words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Perhaps she heard Jesus' invitation to experience rest, and she was drawn to him, wanting to hear more. Perhaps she was touched by his gentleness, 
if she was indeed a prostitute, her experience with men probably wasn't their gentleness. Though it may seem odd to us that this sinful woman came into the home of the Pharisee during this dinner party, her presence there wasn't unusual and her presence there wasn't the problem. The offense was that she didn't stay on, along the outside of the gathering, just listening, as she and others were expected to do. Instead, she crossed the social boundaries of this gathering and approached Jesus, got close to him, and anointed his feet. When we picture Jesus at a meal with Simon the Pharisees and the other invited guests, we likely picture a meal similar to what we might experience, with guests sitting in chairs at a table with their feet in front of them under the table. If that were the case, this woman's action would have been very disruptive. But they were not sitting at a table in the manner that we would today. Their position was be, to be reclined at the table, stretched out on couches or mats, leaning in toward the table with their weight on their left arm and with their right hand used for eating and with their feet extended behind them. Doesn't seem like a very comfortable way to us to eat, but here's a picture to help you see it. Um, um, this is what it may have looked like at Simon's house that day. We can imagine Jesus and Simon and Simon's other guests talking together. Verse 49 tells us that there were other guests. So this isn't an intimate conversation between Jesus and Simon, but more of a dinner party and a group conversation. As they were reclined around the table, eating and conversing with one another, one can only wonder what they were talking about. And what this woman and others around the outside edge of the conversation were hearing. Whatever it was, surely Jesus was directing their attention to things of the kingdom of God. Luke paints a really vivid picture for us. This woman, this sinful woman, stood behind Jesus weeping, wetting his dirty, dusty, unwashed feet with her tears. Might Jesus have been talking about God's love and the riches of his grace? I remember so well the night I really opened my heart to Jesus and experienced his saving grace. It was the best day of my life. I was 17 and a half years old, and it was April of my senior year of high school. I was with my church youth group on a, a trip to Hunting, Huntington, West Virginia, during a week of school vacation from Massachusetts to Huntington, West Virginia was a very long trip. We were visiting the couple who had served as our youth pastor for a couple of years during seminary. The night before we were to leave to return to Massachusetts, the church we were visiting had a closing dinner and service for us. The pastor shared a message with the theme, what you sow, you will reap. He talked about seven things, and I don't know what any of them are. At the end, he gave an invitation for us to receive Jesus' forgiveness for our sins. I sat there prayerfully interacting with God, telling him I didn't really think I was a sinner. My understanding of sin was so small. I had already cleaned up my life 
In eighth or ninth grade, I stopped mistreating people who weren't cool like my friends. And before that, I was very mean, very mean to anyone who was socially vulnerable. By the end of ninth grade, I stopped drinking and smoking. In 10th grade, I stopped stealing. And I was firmly committed to sexual purity. So my understanding of sin was quite limited. It was those things. I sincerely couldn't think of any sins for which I needed forgiveness. So at that moment, God in his mercy clearly showed me one simple sin in my heart. It wasn't an outward thing. I had cleaned up the outward things of my life. But there was still the inward rot that had to be dealt with. And as God brought to mind a sinful attitude of my heart, before I even realized what was happening, I quickly found myself standing at the front of this gathering, opening my heart to the forgiving touch of Jesus, weeping, weeping, weeping. Maybe it doesn't seem like such a big deal to you that I was crying. You've seen me cry many times. But it was significant because I was a pretty tough kid. I'd been through a lot of pain, and I wasn't a person who cried. One of my friends even joked that night, Linda Wilson cries? That's my maiden name. So I wasn't the only one surprised by the flood of tears. In Ezekiel 36, God gives a picture of the transformation that he works in our lives, describing he will, how he will take out of us our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That's what God did for me that night in 1978, tenderizing my heart and then going even further, opening a direct connection between my heart and my tear ducts. And I've been crying ever since. <laughs> Cannot stop. Because of my own experience of having my tear ducts unlocked by the depth of God's love for me, his forgiveness is recreating me. It's not hard to imagine that this sinful woman in Luke's account experienced the same kind of profound experience of grace through Jesus and also had her tear ducts unlocked. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, which to the Pharisee was further evidence of her sinfulness for a reputable woman would not have let her hair down. But perhaps it was more an indication of her posture of worship as she would have had to kneel to wipe his feet. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. As she knelt at Jesus' feet, wiping the tears with her hair and pouring perfume on them, her gift was a costly one. A pound of nard, for example, would have cost 300 denarii, the equivalent of a year's wages for the average person at that time. To put that in context today, in Pennsylvania, the average annual income in 2013 was $28,500. Imagine pouring out something that costs $28,500 per pound. To pour out perfume on Jesus' feet was a very costly gift indeed. One of the amazing things about this account in Luke's Gospel is that this woman doesn't utter a word. 
She didn't utter a word, but she conveyed a message that has been passed on for generations. Even without words, she had a powerful testimony of God's grace, a testimony of tears, and an act of generous love and gratitude. One writer described it as the eloquence of her speechless affection. The eloquence of her speechless affection. She didn't speak a word. Her actions spoke volumes. Simon the Pharisee watched the sinful woman's display of gratitude and worship, and Luke gives us a glimpse into what he was thinking. He thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Oh, yuck, he was thinking. In that moment, he sat in judgment, both of the woman and of Jesus. Jesus, however, knew what was in his heart. But Simon doesn't know that Jesus knows what's in his heart. When Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon, not knowing that he's about to be exposed for his own sinfulness to be brought to light, replies, tell me, teacher. And Jesus responds with a parable about two people who owed money to someone, neither of whom was able to repay it. The money lender forgave the debt of both borrowers, and Jesus wanted to know which of the two Simon thought would love the money lender more. Simon gives the obvious answer, which happens to be the correct answer. The one who had the bigger debt forgiven would love more. At that, Jesus directs Simon's attention to the woman and recounts all that she did for him in contrast to all that Simon did not do for him. And then Jesus puts the exclamation point on what he was saying with these words. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Not that she loved much and so was forgiven much. No, Jesus said it's the other way around. She was forgiven much, much and so she loved much. We can't buy the Lord's forgiveness with our love, can we? His forgiveness is free at no cost whatsoever to us, with all the cost paid by him with his very life. Our love is in response to what he has done. The more we have been forgiven, the more we have love for Jesus. This unnamed sinful woman sets a beautiful example for us, an example of worship and an example of service. She gives herself to Jesus with complete abandon, weeping, wiping, and pouring, all done in love and in thanks. Walt Whitman, in his famous poem, Song of Myself, wrote, Behold, I do not give lectures or a little charity. When I give, I give myself. This certainly ref reflects the love that this woman had. It certainly reflects the Christ-like life. Behold, I do not give lectures or a little charity. When I give, I give myself. Similarly to this unnamed sinful woman, you and I have a choice today. We can keep to our naturally selfish ways, protecting our lives, holding on to our possessions, holding on to our money, holding on to our talents, holding on to our knowledge, holding on to our time, protecting our hearts, maybe even cherishing our hurts. Or we can give ourselves 
our lives, our possessions, our money, our talents, our knowledge, our time, our hearts, and even our hurts to the Lord with complete abandon. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, wrote in a letter to his sister in 1860. He said, if I had a thousand pounds, which is the British money, um, if I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No exclamation point, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him, he said? Can we do enough for such a precious savior? And then on another occasion, he wrote, measure your life by loss instead of gain, not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and whosoever suffereth most hath most to give. Like the sinful woman, we've received forgiveness from Jesus. Or if we haven't yet received it, he's waiting today to give it, to freely and generously and lovingly give it, just as he gave to this woman. And just like the woman, we're to pour out our very selves in worship and thanks and in service. In 2001, the little-known music group Ten Shekel Shirt recorded a song titled Much which is sung from the perspective of the woman who is talked about in this passage in Luke 7. We're going to do something different, and we're going to take a few minutes to listen to this song, hopefully prayerfully. The words will be up on the screen, and you can read along if you'd like. Or if it helps you as you listen, close your eyes and picture the scene. Be there with them and invite God to speak to you. Let's listen.
owe to be forgiven. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 16, 14 are instructive to us. He said, let all that you do be done in love. What's amazing is that the accounting of God's kingdom isn't the accounting of our world. In the economy of the world, the more you spend, the poorer you are. But in reality, the more we pour out ourselves to Christ, the more we give love to Christ and to others, the richer and fuller we are. Fenelon wrote, if there is anything that is capable of setting the soul in a large place, it is absolute abandonment to God. If there is anything that is capable of setting the soul in a large place, it is absolute abandonment to God. Let's pray. How wonderful it is, Lord, to experience your forgiveness, your grace, your love, your touch, your gentleness. And how wonderful it is to be able, Lord, to give ourselves back to you, to pour out our lives for you and for your kingdom, for the people that you love, both in the body of Christ and not yet in the body of Christ. Lord, uh, we, we so easily hold back cling to ourselves and our way. And this morning we pray that you would give us courage to, um, to step out of that natural inclination to protect ourselves and to be vulnerable with you, to give you more and more and more of ourselves. Help us to pour ourselves out at your feet, God. as we do that, we pray that you would indeed make our souls a large place, and that you would fill that place with yourself, that we would be filled by your spirit with love and joy and peace. God, that's what we want this morning. So we lay ourselves before you. You know who we are, you know what we think, you know what we struggle with. We give those things to you today, God, in complete abandon. In Jesus' name, amen. As we um, join together to sing, we're going to be singing um, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, something like that is the name of it. My mind just went blank, but... Um, to his feet your tributes bring. Uh, picture yourself bringing those tributes to Jesus as we sing. We invite you to stand and to pray. We ask the intercessors to come. If there's anything that you'd like to pray for, um, come and people will pray with you or go to the prayer room and folks will pray with you more privately there. Let's continue to worship. <laughs> 